You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Let's go ahead and give it a little bit of an early start here in a minute or so early. And uh, good to be back with you. You guys are stuck with me for several weeks now. And then uh, I won't be with you in, in most of April. And then I'll finish out uh, in May with you. And so looking forward to plowing through Hebrews, although uh, we'll see what happens this morning. I woke up this morning and just uh, started studying some more, which is probably not the thing I should do. Um, I should probably just stick with what I have prepared. So um, we'll probably barely look at the notes you have in front of you this morning, so you can use the back of the page for notes. But uh, just some, I just want to share with you some things. I think the last time I was with you with Bobby, and, and by the way, thanks for being here to listen to uh, Bobby Evans. I could have probably stayed here another hour and listened to more stories and listened to him tell stories. And I know some of you probably could have as well, but it was gracious of him to be here. And one of the reasons I wanted Bobby from the Giants to come speak was um, he's not a professional speaker, doesn't make any, um, uh, any profession to be that. In fact, I was asking him, I said, do you speak very much? And he goes, not really. He goes, you know, occasionally somebody will ask me to speak because they can't get a player, you know, and, and they'll ask him if... Uh, you know, if they can get Buster Posey to come speak or something like that. But what I was really impressed by him was when I uh, got to see him around his environment. And when I watched him around his environment, there was a realness about his walk with Christ, no matter the audience, no matter who he was with. He was the same with me. He was the same with Chapman, my youngest, as he was uh, talking to Buster Posey when we were at a banquet together. And, and so when you see a guy who's walking with Jesus like that, in that type of environment, you want to get him in front of men and let him speak. So thanks for being a great audience for him. I think I mentioned this book to you uh, the last time I was with you, but uh, if you've never heard of Simon Sinek, um, you ought to get his stuff. His latest book is called Leaders Eat Last, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. A word of warning, and I think I've told you this, but it bears repeating, Simon Sinek is not a believer. He is a thoroughgoing naturalist. If you read this book, you will, you will notice his evolutionary and naturalist discussion. So when you do that, please do not throw the book away. In fact, I would, I would tell you, you must always expose yourself to the viewpoints that you disagree with, or otherwise you're going to remain an idiot on how to address the viewpoints that you disagree with. And, and if all you do is what the church has done for the last 50 years and just say, we're right and you're wrong, you're going to end up where we are today. So you need to learn to think through these things. You need to learn biblically how to think through these things and read through them. And um, I'm actually working on trying to get Simon here. Uh, I, I'd love to hear him speak because I'd like to be able to have lunch with him and, and, uh, and just ask him the question, how do you arrive at your... Um, your universal conclusions after you describe who we are as human beings in your book. So if you can take a chance to read it, uh, it's good stuff. Uh, let's pray together and then let's see where the Lord uh, takes us this morning. Father, thanks for the privilege of freely standing with these men uh, to take a deeper look into your word. May it transform us. Um, may we be transformed by the sharp, word as Hebrews 4.12 talks about, so that as we walk through this day, something will be used in us by you to reach another person. I thank you for continuing 
to burn into my soul the reality that there is no neutral life in this room. There will be no neutral moments in this day. And there is no wasted breath being taken by any of these men today. There is indeed a greater value and a greater purpose and indeed a calling on their lives. And it needs to be lived out today. So encourage us in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So open your Bibles to Hebrews. Find your way to uh, chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to be careful how I say the following phrase because I've only been thinking about it all week and, uh, and then this morning and I also realize everything we say is going to end up on the internet. Uh, so many times people come up and say, do you remember when you said such and such? And I, I don't. So um, I want to be careful how I say this. I, along with you, have probably grown very weary of what I have had to watch on ESPN this entire week. Um, I think you know what I'm talking about. I have one of my best friends who struggles with same-sex attraction. You guys know who Mike Gakey is. And I have learned to um, love deeply people who struggle in this area. But I, along with you, if I hear one more story about the bravery and the incredible sacrifice and courage that it goes along with um, this confession, this, this coming out. Uh, it's, it's not that I'm wanting to be against people. What bothers me the most is something that Francis Schaeffer said in 1967. And as I was praying, if you heard me say, God, please help us understand if if all you do is get mad at the cultural issue that you've been watching this week and I I don't think I'm alone I don't think the I'm the only guy watching the television go if I see this one more time I'm gonna break my tv I mean I I walked into the locker room of the Y yesterday and I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna break somebody I'm I'm gonna hit somebody playing racquetball I'm if I see this story one more time and but when I sit and listen to it What you've got to understand, and I'm going to read out of this book that was first published in uh, 67, I believe it was. You've got to realize that as the church, 1968, we have lost the cultural battles, okay? I told this to our congregation Sunday. We have absolutely lost the cultural battles. There is no war on marriage. We lost that, okay? And the reason we lost it is because as followers of Jesus, we didn't know how to be married. And so we just thought that everybody should follow what we did, and they did, and now everybody's marriages are garbage. We, we've lost the war on abortion. We've lost the war on marijuana. Let's all go skiing next week. What do you say? We've lost, um, we've, we've lost the wars. And Francis Schaeffer, and I'm not holding him up as a prophet, but I'm going to read something here in just a minute. And it's why I tell you to read books like Simon Sinek's. Because we as Christians know how to give answers, but we as godly men do not know how to think. And we do not know how to read the word of God and let it penetrate deep inside of us and look at someone across the table and rather than simply seeing them as someone going to hell, we also see them as a, an, an, a, indeed as a created person in the image of God who needs to be reasoned with and discussed, but you come with the reasoning empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
When I listen to a football player make headlines because he comes out now, and, and I gotta tell you, I, I was joking with my wife, and this is the part that's probably gonna get me in trouble. So there's a few elders in here, you can defrock me after this. I was, I was talking to my wife and I said, I'm gonna start a website and it's gonna be called, I'm coming out of the closet, I am thoroughly heterosexual. And, um, and, and so, and we're all gonna get to put our videos on there. And, and what we're gonna get to do is, you know, I told my wife, I said, you know, sweetheart, Apparently now as a man, I'm not supposed to be uncomfortable if there's another man in the locker room with me who might be attracted to me. So would you mind if I started going to the women's locker room and showering with you guys because you should just be comfortable that I'm attracted to you. Is that gonna cause you a problem? That's terrible, isn't it? I was, isn't that terrible? So um, my son's like, yeah, let's do that. So we're gonna, we're gonna start a website <laughs> to the women's locker room we go. And so do what? Well, and then we'll go through Colorado so we can get high on the way. But I, I just, um, I want to read this to you. And um, that is kind of funny though, isn't it? I mean, it's just, the more I talked about it with my son, it got really out of hand. But um, it, uh, this is out of a book he wrote called The God Who Is There. And I'm going to read it slowly. And I hope you'll get this book and read it. I don't know that anybody who was listening to Schaefer in the 70s understood. We have a tendency to listen to people in the context of our current culture rather than listening to them in the context of history and what God is doing. I hope you get that. We listen to speakers in the context of our culture rather than in the context of history and what God has done and what he will do. You do not stand alone in the moment of your culture. You stand in the moment of history. You see, Hebrews chapter 12 says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, which is why we are to do what we do. We do not do what we do because of simply our culture and our time. We do what we do because God has placed us where we are in the span of his work in history, counting on us to continue to do a work that he started at creation and he will complete someday. You do not stand at your moment. You stand in a moment that is God's moment that he chooses to possibly use you in the larger picture. And the moment you stand in is also a moment that he might use to touch a life that will affect something 50 years from now. My mom paraded me to church back in the 70s when I was very young, a wee little lad, and made me sit at church and listen to these guys speak. She made me sit and watch a video. I had to go and watch videos of this guy in knickers. If you don't know who Francis Schaefer is, he's an American who tries to look like a European. And he's got this, this beard and he, wear, he always wore these knickers and all this kind of stuff. And I remember having to go to church on Sunday mornings at eight o'clock and they put up the big screen. And she, remember the real projectors, you know, the and watch this guy do a series called How Should We Then Live? You thought the guy who came up with that title was Chuck Colson because he changed it a little bit. But Francis Schaeffer did this series called How Should We Then Live? And he traces the change in thought in our culture beginning in the 1930s. And I had to listen to him, but now you can do the math. 38 years later, God pulls me to a bookshelf and says, I was trying to tell you something. And he's trying to tell us something. And we best pay attention to how we raise the next generation to not just be a bunch of Christians who have right answers about people's eternal destination, but Christian men who can walk this stuff out in the business place rather than surrendering to full-time ministry and getting off the game field. The field that is yours. 
Francis Schaeffer said, absolutes imply antithesis. Now I know you thought, oh my, I got out of high school. I didn't want to have to talk about this stuff. And absolutes imply that if something is one thing, it cannot be another. Antithesis implies if there is a man and there is a woman, they are different. That's what that implies, okay? The non-Christian went on romantically operating on this basis without a sufficient cause, an adequate base for doing so. What he's saying is non-Christians just agreed with us. For instance, he goes on to say this. One could tell a non-Christian girl back in the 50s, be a good girl. And while she might not have followed your advice, at least she would have understood what you were talking about. Does that make sense to you guys? You remember those days? I know some of you guys like, I remember the day when you could just say, do the right thing. And what happened? Do the right thing. One guy's paying attention. Okay, so to say the same thing to a truly modern girl today, when did I tell you this was written? 68. To say the same thing to a truly modern girl today would be to make a nonsense statement. The blank look you would receive would not mean that your standards had been rejected, but that your message was meaningless. See, we think our standards have been rejected, but the reality is they don't even know what we're talking about. Because we have not lived something that is empoweringly different. We are just against rather than powerful men that are for something better. And so the shift has been tremendous. 30 or more years ago, you could have said things like, this is true or this is right, and you would have been on everybody's wavelength. People may or may not have thought that your beliefs were consistent, but everyone would have been talking to each other as though the idea of antithesis was correct. It is unfortunate that Christian thinkers, assuming that would be us, in the time before this shift took place and the chasm was fixed, did not teach and preach with a clear grasp of where you start from. And now that the shift has taken place, Christians do not know what has happened to them. And gentlemen, you can either sit back and say, come Lord Jesus, come. The end is near, it is like the days of Noah. Or, You can say, thank you, God, that the odds have never been worse and you're gonna do a mighty work because you're gonna use us in ways we could have never imagined in a culture that is desperately looking for men who know who they are in Christ and will not just beat the crap out of people with a Bible, but will love them with who Jesus is because of what the Bible has taught them who they are and who Jesus is. And they demonstrate that in the daily work environment. So be like me and look at the TV and go, I'm gonna kill somebody. Or look at the TV and say, by God, he is doing something great and here we go. Because let me tell you the most irrelevant thing in the world right now, the church. But you know what the most relevant thing should be? Men of the church living this stuff out on a daily basis. So I wanna start in Hebrews chapter three with you. I wanna read a few words and then we're gonna look at something and see where we go. Wow, that took 15 minutes. Sorry, I know you guys are like, yeah, I did. Um, Hebrews chapter three. I wanna just start in verse six. 
Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. I know I'm picking up in the middle of a sentence. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now this is where the Lord just sort of uh, stopped me this morning. All I was trying to do was review my notes. And that word confidence stopped me. I thought, what does that mean? What does that mean the word confidence? Hebrews 3, 6, we're his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence. And I don't know if your translation uses the word confidence, but the word for confidence is actually the word for boldness. It is the word for boldness, plain and simple, to be bold. Now be careful how you interpret that because many times we take boldness to mean barging in. That is not boldness, that's bravado and arrogance. That's, that's arguing a point rather than demonstrating a life. But the writer of Hebrews is talking about a boldness that is ours. And this word boldness really sort of, it, it stopped me. It literally stopped me in my tracks. So I kept reading. And, and I'm gonna pick up again with you in verse 12. I'm gonna skip the, the reference of verse seven through 11, which is a, a reference to Psalm 95 and pick up in verse 12. And I'll tell you what I'm gonna do with you guys. I'm gonna keep going until it's time to go and then next week we'll just pick up, okay? So I'm just gonna run until I, the clock strikes and then I'll stop. So if we don't come to a conclusion this morning, then just live on the edge. Okay, so verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. I know this is what I talked to you guys about the last time I was with you, but just, I can't get away from this. Be careful lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart that would lead you to fall away from the living God. And the last time we were together, I reminded you that this, what you believe will always dictate what you do, always. It is always a belief issue. And so you keep reading and this word falling away is not losing your salvation. It is shrinking back. It is backing away. Remember the children of Israel. They, they did not cease becoming God's children, but they backed away from Canaan because their belief in who God was and what he could do was weak. It was not a matter of whether God was strong enough. It was a matter of whether they would trust him and what they trusted and what they believed always dictates what they would do. And it does the same in your life. So in, in verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, this amazing phrase that sin can creep in and harden me. So now go to your notes. Let's, let me see if I can go there real quick. Um, okay, look at the quote in the middle that's in the smallest font I could find for all of your benefit. Um, first paragraph quote there. My area of greatest vulnerability, that's where it starts. My area of greatest vulnerability is not in what I might do, but rather in what I might choose to deeply believe. The most dangerous mental or heart, and I, I did that purposefully, so you would see that the who that is the who that you the you that makes you, you. There's no such thing. I know we get mixed up in this. You, you don't have mind, heart, soul, body. You, in the Hebrew thought, there's the outer man we see and the inner man we don't. 
And there's the inner man that is the you that makes you you, that is dead before Christ, but is made new in Christ. So that's why I wanted you to see this, this thing. The most dangerous mental or heart choice is the one that ever so slightly allows me to believe that God will not meet my need at the deepest level of my desire and hoped for contentment. I can mask obedience and pretend satisfaction and joy through carefully guarded behavior modification and well-orchestrated religious habit. But eventually, if I do not believe in his, that is God's promised and provided for rest, I will fall away and miss the promised land. In other words, if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't know who he is and the power of who he is, and all you know is you should be godly or religious, you can behave that way for a long time, but you will not boldly live the life he's called you to live. You'll just be a guy that has a fish on the back of his car. Verse 13, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I was raised in a Christianity, and I think some of you were too, that your greatest fear was that you would let God down by your behavior, that you would look at boobies or something like that, and all of a sudden God would be mad at you. Rather than understanding that my greatest treasure is to be found in Christ and he does not love me more because of what I do not do, but he loves me and wants to do something in my life that is beyond what I could imagine. And I need you and you need me to slap you in the rear, hit you in the face or kick you in the back and say, get back in the game. So we have to encourage each other. We, what we do is we have these, these little piddly accountability groups where we go, uh, you know, I didn't pray enough this week. I didn't pray enough this week. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I love the movie, um, uh, now I can't think of the name. I was gonna say Gladiator. It's not Gladiator. It's William Wallace. How come I always can't? Braveheart. Can you imagine? I mean, remember the scene in Braveheart where they're all getting ready to fight and they're all getting ready to chicken out? If you've never seen the movie, go rent it tonight and watch it, okay? Even if you don't like those kind of movies, you need to man up and watch it. And so I, um, and, and, and he realizes everybody's about to get afraid on him, right? And he's got the blue paint on his face, you know, and he, he, he kind of does this amazing speech about, you know, what's the line in it, Joe, where he says, do you want to one day die? And, and what does he say? I know you know it. Yeah. I mean, and, and do you think all those guys probably had a bad night and they were all chicken. They didn't sit there and go, are you okay, brother? Are you okay? I mean, let's just, let's try hard today. He said, no, you are a warrior. Get your butt in the fight and fight. I'm tired of guys. I'm tired of men sitting around going, I'm just a Christian and I hope God doesn't get mad at me. Rather than looking at each other and saying, we have been chosen by God to be bold warriors in a culture that needs somebody to stand up for truth with love. And that's what is being pushed at in Hebrews here because the children of Israel were a called band to a promised land and they petered out on the edge, not because of the weakness of who they were, but because they didn't understand the strength of who called them. So let's keep going. I'm not getting anywhere this morning. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. And that's the word foundation. It's different than the word boldness. That is the word for foundation. 
Now the foundation is Christ. It is not your behavior. It is not your ability to be a good Christian. Your confidence is who you are in Christ. And who you are in Christ cannot change. He has sealed you, signed you, and delivered you. I know you can't seal before you sign it and stuff it, but you can just go with it on that, okay? Now, let me show you something else. I want to show you something about this word for confidence, okay? I want you to turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. This is where I went this morning. I just pulled out a a concordance and started looking at what the scriptures had to teach me because he's going to use this word for boldness in Hebrews. We'll get there in a minute. But go to Proverbs 3. Go to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. And we're just going to keep going right, so we'll keep it easy. Proverbs 3, verse 26. I'm getting old, I can't see. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. The righteous fall seven times and the Lord lifts them up and they keep going, is what the scriptures say. But he is your confidence. And that is that same word for your boldness. He is your boldness. Now look at something else. Go to chapter 14. Same, cha- same book, but chapter 14. Chapter 14. This did not take a seminary education to do this. It takes a concordance. You can buy off the shelf at Mardell's and look up words. Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, boldness, And his children will have refuge. Remember that word for fear is not cowering in fear. It's the same confidence you had when your dad let you get on the roof of the house. Maybe your dad didn't. And he said, jump off and I'll catch you. You're like, all right, here we go. I'm flying. That's the, we're not talking about cowering because God's looking at you and saying, you're sorry. It's God standing up as your bulwark and warrior saying, get behind me. Here we go, bro. And so that is your confidence. So turn now to the New Testament. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, it's a big jump. So uh, take a big bunch of pages in your hand and go to the right to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the boldness that we have through Christ towards God. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Such is the boldness that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers or servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. As it's been well said by, I believe, Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel and if you must, use words. And what our culture desperately must see is not cowering men hiding behind their failure, but bold men advancing behind Jesus in the way they talk, in the way they do deals, in the way they work, in the way they love, in the way they are romantic, 
in the way they raise their children and men who see the amazing nature of the glory of God manifested in who you are that see the opportunity of a lost culture waiting to see if men will show them anything different. Not by you pointing a finger like I wanted to do this week, but me demonstrating a powerful life that speaks something different before I say anything. Let me show you another scripture. Confidence and boldness. Go to Philippians. Go to the right. You're going to pass Galatians, Ephesians, and you're going to stop in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. It's interesting, if you look at verse 2, Paul says, watch out for the dogs. Now, all you Midland High people are going, oh, we're going to use that because that's scriptural. That's, don't use that for Midland High. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You know where those people are that he's talking about? They're in the church. That's who he's talking about. He's not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about people inside the church who are dogs and evildoers and mutilate the flesh. They're people who are saying you have to be circumcised. They're people who are saying you have to do certain religious rites. But then he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no boasting in the flesh And then he lists off all the reasons why he should be proud. And then the next thing he tells you is, but everything's rubbish, but I glory in who Christ is through me. Now, go to Hebrews, okay? Go to Hebrews, so turn to the right some more. You're gonna pass Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four. See, I knew we'd make it to chapter four. Watch what he does here. This is what just warped me this morning. Hebrews chapter four. So all of chapter three and four we've been looking at about finding this rest in God, but now this confident foundation, this boldness that we're to have in Christ. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Stop there. There's a huge debate in theological circles called the peccability or the impeccability of Christ, okay? What that means is this. It's a big fancy word for saying this. Could Jesus have sinned when he was on earth or not, okay? It's kind of a circular debate. It really is because we know he's 100% man and he's 100% God. So people will say, well, if he was 100% man, could he have sinned? Well, he's 100% God, so he couldn't have sinned. So my answer to the question is, is he peccable or impeccable? My answer is, guess what? Yes. And think about that one just a little bit, okay? And, and as my, one of my favorite professors said, if you're not comfortable with tension, you probably shouldn't be a Christian. And so when, when I read a scripture like this, it tells me that Jesus completely understands what it is to be inundated with temptation, inundated. Remember temptation. I'm saying it this way because temptation is not just whether I'm going to take another drink of whiskey. Temptation is not just whether or not I'm going to look at something that's not good for my eyes. Temptation is not simply uh, using a bad word. 
Temptation is not simply speeding. Temptation is not simply just uh, not paying a, a bill the way I should, whatever the issue is, because we always picture temptation as just the things that make me do wrong things. The children of Israel did not miss the promised land because they did something wrong. The children of Israel missed the promised land because they did not believe God could do it. As C.S. Lewis says, we trifle in the mud pies of the alley when God promises a vacation by the sea. We get wound up in our struggles not realizing we have a king who wants to take us to greater victory. Gideon, hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. And God says, hail mighty warrior. And Gideon says what? Wrong guy. That's his response. Wrong guy. Wrong, no, not, not me, not me. And then God uses Gideon. Unfortunately, Gideon gets pr- proud after that. Samson, chosen before he was born. But it took him getting his eyes gouged out. And I know what you're gonna say. See, there it was. It was Delilah and he got his, his eyes gouged. Listen, Delilah was after a long string of events brought on by the pride of who he was and forgetting who Jesus was through him. And then he got trapped. But at the end, when he finally knew who he was and his hair began to grow, it's an amazing verse in captivity, it says, but his hair began to grow again. Hey guys, I don't know which ones you are. I'll shut my eyes so you don't think I'm looking at you. I don't care what you've done. When he has wrestled you to the ground, your hair starts to grow again. And then, one day, he'll put you in a position, and let me put it this way, the way the scripture says about Samson. He killed in his dying day more than in his entire life. So by God, men, don't you ever tell me what somebody told me when I was 19. God cannot use you because of what you've done. I remember where I sat when someone told me that. Don't you dare let someone tell you that. Don't you dare let someone tell you that God will not use you. By the permission of God, punch them next time they say it. Just don't let them do that. If a preacher has told you that, leave that church. If a Bible study leader has told you that, walk away from that Bible study. Your hair grows again. Now, theoretically, maybe not. Or realistically, maybe not. But your hair grows again. And listen to this this Samson who says to a young boy, just take me to the corner of the house. I know we have all these pictures of him pushing against these pillars. But I, I really think that it was going over to the corner and some kid didn't know what he was doing. And he said, here, here, old man, here's the deal right here. You need a haircut. And he leans against this thing and remembers who he happens to be in Christ. And guys, until you get that, until you get the confidence of the boldness of who you are in Jesus, we'll keep staring at televisions on ESPN and wondering what happened. Let me show you another verse. Chapter 10. I didn't even finish that. Verse 16, 416. Because of what Jesus has done, let us then with boldness, boldness, boldness. It's the word boldness. Let us with boldness draw near to the throne of grace. Now this is where your definition of grace is critical and we've tried to teach you this for years. 
grace is more than just God's unmerited favor for salvation. It is also God's unmerited, unlimited supply for the need of the moment. So let us then with boldness draw near to the throne of unmerited, unlimited supply for the need of the moment that we may receive mercy and watch this and find unlimited supply for the need of the moment in our time of need. It literally reads that we might receive well-timed supply for the need. Guys, if I learned anything from Bobby Evans when he spoke, I'm asking God for too little. I'm praying too small and expecting too little. So, so look at, go to chapter 10. Chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. This word just shows up over and over and over again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. This, this picture is amazing. You, you, you do remember in the temple of the Old Testament, no man could enter in the holiest place where the Ark of the Covenant was. I hope you know that. It's where Harrison Ford went in, okay? And so you, you don't even remember that movie. And, and so we're not allowed to go in there. The children of Israel weren't, but when Jesus died, the curtain was torn and, the, and, and entrance was granted, okay? And, and it's sort of this, I, I can't get out of my mind this picture of... Um, I've told seniors that I walk with each year, I've told them one of my standing rules is they never have to have an appointment to come to my office. Now, Justin's sitting over there. Hey, I had to have an appointment. You're not a year older now, Justin. And, and so, but I've told these kids, I've been like, you just come in my office. You just come in my office. And what's been funny is, is how many times receptionists have been like, you, you can't go in there. And yet they'll walk in, they go, I was in his class last year. I can go wherever I want. And in they go. Or how you're a kid, if you have an office. I remember when I had an office in the business community and my kids could just waddle in and, and they just have access, boldness. Nobody's gonna stop them. That's my daddy. I'm going in because I want a Tootsie Roll. Watch this. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain of his flesh, and we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's what you believe. You either believe you can invade the throne room of God. Listen, I was listening to a, um, let me see how I want to say this. Never mind. Somehow the enemy has tricked most of us into believing that because of what we've done, we still cannot boldly go to the throne of grace. And that's non-biblical. And Jesus told you a story about the prodigal son to tell you that. He did. And whatever you did last night, if you are a, a, a child of God, you are still told you can invade the throne room of your daddy with confidence in full assurance Verse 22, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, a body washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now here's where this verse will take a better meaning for you because we've only used this verse to get you to attend church and be on high attendance Sunday. But it's more than that. 
He says, so then let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. And all that keeps coming to my mind is this this picture of warriors and athletes who, who are doing battle on a field. I can remember standing in the huddle when I was a quarterback and looking at a lineman and yelling at him and saying, would you please block that guy? I didn't kick him out. I didn't throw him away. And we need to somehow just look at each other and say, I don't care what you've done or where you come from, re-engage. I mean, it reminds me of Top Gun. Remember that movie? Everybody wanted to go be a Navy fighter pilot. And then, you know, there's a part in that movie where Tom Cruise is all wigging out, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's weird anyways, but before that, but he's, you know, he's, he's, he's lost his partner, his partner has died and he won't re-engage. And you can hear the other pilot going, engage, engage, guys, engage this thing, engage this thing, engage it. There is a world filled with Sam's waiting to see men who know who they are in Christ, who will not look at him and say, you faggot, but will say, I love you, but I wanna show you what true manhood looks like in the confidence of Christ. How do you do a deal? How do you work in the field? How do you pump oil? How do you sell insurance? How do you work with patients? Do they see a man confident in the king of all kings or do they see you as a guy who just says, I hope I do everything right today. You won't do everything right today. Can we just settle that? You will screw up. You will. Done. Agreed? Just, we're all screw ups. Let's just admit it. It's just our cheer. I'm a screw up. But I am a powerful screw up. I am a saved beyond belief screw up. I am a person who has access to the creator of all people who says, you ask too small, my son. You ask too small. So look at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, Verse 32, he reminds them of who they were. He says, listen, my friends, would you just recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured such a hard struggle of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes you were partners with those treated, for you had the compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding. Therefore, do not throw away your what? Boldness. Do not throw it away. It has a great reward For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. Look at verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Oh, I just, I'm sorry for hitting this thing. I just, it grieves me that men of the church are so consumed in the mud pies of their struggles that it's keeping them from being overwhelmed with a vacation at the sea with a glorious God who has called them out to be more than they could have ever hoped or imagined. If I could, if I could grab you by the face, I wouldn't. But if I could hold you by the face like you do your kids, and say, I was, I was sharing with Steve a story. 
My, my youngest is a, is a pitcher. He's a left-handed pitcher. And, and, it's, and he's, he's lanky and long. He's got these monkey arms. And he just, it's funny to watch him throw. It's just crazy. He's got this amazing stuff going on. And I'll tell you this story, but you can't tell him I told you, okay? Don't walk up to him at church and go, I heard a great story about you. Because if you do, I'll kick you. And, and, but this is what he did. He, he was going to have to go pitch against a team that last year rocked him pretty good. I mean, they pretty much took him to lunch. And the first thing he said to me, and that was JV, so he had to go pitch varsity. He's a sophomore. He told me two days before the game, he said, Dad, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. You know what I knew immediately? I knew he lost up here. I already knew what had happened. He forgot who he was. He forgot. And when he got up on the mound, the game before that, he threw six batters, struck out three, grounded out the first three. Perfect two-inning game. That's all he was allowed to pitch, preseason. So now he gets up, and he cannot make his body throw a strike. And he walks five consecutive batters. Now listen, here's the problem with you and I. We're so busy trying to throw strikes before we've understood the magnitude of who we are on the mound. And all you do is keep throwing ball after ball after ball and the Lord's saying, would you stop for a minute and figure out who you are? So then you can back up for a minute and receive the power of who you are and the confidence and the boldness of who you are so that when you go home tonight, rather than relishing in the failure of who you've been by the way you've been in your marriage or, or your relationship with your son or the, or the way you failed with your daughters or your sons and you wallow around in your guilt and you roll around in who you once were, would you stop for a minute before you throw another pitch and remember who in the crap you are? Because until you get that, you will trifle with boobies and booze rather than the glorious nature of who Jesus is in through you. Let's pray together and we'll see if we can recover next week. God, thank you for your word. Um, for what it tells us about who we are. And I pray that as these men go out today, there would be, um, I, don't, I don't know, Father, there's, there's something about the gait and the walk and the composure and the countenance of a man who knows who he is. Not a man trying to be something, but a man who knows who he is. That when he walks in a room, there's something about the countenance that's been changed by the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the boldness that is theirs by grace that begins to change things. And if it's a, a small movement that begins with a handful of men sitting in a room early in the morning, I beg you and boldly ask you, to let us show something different to a city on the edge. I pray you'd bless these men. I pray they'd preach well as they go through this day, not minimizing where they preach and how they preach, understanding there is no neutral moment, there is no neutral life, and there are no neutral breaths being taken. It all matters. And if today's our last day, which it very well could be, one of us could get killed out there on I-20. We could get killed on a service road. We could, we could have a heart attack today, whatever. Anything could happen. We're all gonna die someday anyways. But I pray in our dying breath, we will be able to say, 
I boldly walked with Jesus today. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Have a great day. Thanks for being here.